In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, today we start a new sermon series for Lent on uh, racism and repentance, as Matt mentioned earlier. Um, We're asking this question, what does it look like for us as a predominantly white church to reckon with and repent of our complicity with the systems and structures of racism uh, in this country? What good news do we need to hear that will free us to explore how we can joyfully participate in the work of repair for hundreds of years of damage done by racist policies? There was an online workshop that we did uh, yesterday with our friend Michael Gonzalez that was really helpful. Um, It helped us see uh, whiteness, uh, not as white people, but as a socio-political order. It's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of being in the world. And we are uh, going to be unpacking that in class sessions on Sunday mornings. We did our first one this morning already uh, at 9.30 and then Tuesday evenings at 8.30 uh, as well. Um, And before we even uh, get into this sermon series, I just want to say that it can be overwhelming. It can feel exhausting to see these things, to reckon with these things. And so I want to encourage you not to turn away from these feelings. I want to encourage you not to defend yourself from these feelings, but simply to notice them and to breathe through them. Just notice that they're there and just keep breathing deeply. Um, This is part of the process of exercising the generational and the cultural trauma of white supremacy from our bodies and from our body. Does that make sense? Our bodies individually, but also our social body, our, um, our body politic, another way to say it. So even now, as you listen to this sermon, be aware of what's happening in your body. Don't react to it. Just notice it. Let it be there and breathe through it with Jesus because, friends, there's good news for us today. This Lent, our Savior Jesus waits for us in the valley of repentance, longing to gather his church as a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings to protect, to provide, Church, as we face the reality of our sin and our entanglement in racist systems of oppression and injustice, Jesus will meet us with open arms, empowering us to joyfully repent and offer our bodies to his kingdom of justice and peace. Church, will you allow Jesus to gather you today through confession and repentance? Lent is a season of penitence, uh, of repentance, of confession of sin, but uh, most of us, I think, have a skewed idea of what this means. First of all, we think of sin primarily as breaking God's rules. I don't know if you guys can relate to this, Uh, but the idea here is that God set up some rules. Um, Who knows why? (laughs) They're arbitrary, but they're important because God set them up, and that's the main thing he wants from us. He wants us to keep his rules, Uh, and when we, we sin, then when we don't keep one of those rules. But actually, according to the scriptures that we read today, it's not so simple. Sin isn't really about breaking arbitrary rules. It's about oppression. It's about injustice. It's about domination and manipulation of others. It's about wielding power over other people's bodies. And that gets us into the second misconception that I think a lot of us have about sin. Second, we think of sin primarily as something within us as individuals that we deal directly with God about. And so sin is mainly in my heart. And I confess my sins privately, just me and God. I receive God's forgiveness, which is essentially just this abstract balancing of accounts in heaven, right? Jesus kept the rules perfectly. And so that perfect rule performance like gets the A on the test, but actually that A gets transferred to my account. 
And so that when I get to heaven, God flips through his like accounts and he looks, he looks at my record and my record, oh, it's got an A. Great. Even though I didn't really you know, earn it. So Jesus earned it for me. And so I get into heaven when I die. But notice, friends, that that is all abstract. It's all out there somewhere in heaven. It doesn't impact my daily life. And so that is the result, I think, of seeing sin as breaking God's rules, but also seeing sin as something that is within me as an individual, and I deal directly with God about it. But actually, according to the scriptures that we read today, sin doesn't primarily reside within us as individuals, but sin happens and resides among us, between us, as a community, as a society. Sin is social. Sin is about how our bodies relate to each other. It's not just in our hearts. And so reckoning with it has to be a social thing, not just an individual thing. So, for example, Isaiah, uh, the passage um, that we read from Isaiah, says, uh, you think, you know, you think I want your, God says this to his people, you think I'm interested in your sacrifices being impeccable? I just want you to make them at the correct times in the the right places? Well, you're missing the point, Isaiah says, because you're practicing injustice. You're taking advantage of the poor. You're oppressing the stranger. Your hands are full of blood. That's what matters to me. So let's reason together, you know, acknowledge these things, learn to do right, and your sins will be forgiven. The Magnificat, Mary's song, she rejoices in the salvation that's going to come to the world through her child. But notice that her rejoicing isn't about how so many individuals are going to receive imputed righteousness in their heavenly account, uh, and they're they're going to receive the inner assurance that their personal sins are forgiven and be led into the good place when they die. (laughs) That's not what she celebrates. What she celebrates, the results of salvation in Mary's song are very earthy, and they sound downright revolutionary. God's coming to relieve the oppressed, to rescue them from the hands of the oppressor. God's hurtling these oppressive rulers down from their thrones, and he's raising up those who've been ground into the dust. God's filling the hungry with the fat of the land, but the rich he's sending away without anything. Friends, this is radical. This is wealth redistribution. This is reparations. This is social justice, is what Mary is looking forward to. James as well says it very practically. James is always very practical. He always shows us how things work out in real life. He says, if you show favoritism or partiality, you're sinning. It's no good to say that you have faith when your actions show that you're practicing partiality or favoritism. In fact, that's not faith, or it's a dead faith. It's an unfaith, James says. And favoritism isn't just this thing, again, that happens inside my own heart. It's not a private preference that I have. Favoritism manifests in our bodies and how they relate to each other. It manifests in social action. It manifests in giving the rich person the good seat in church and ignoring the poor person. It manifests in refusing to share my abundance with those in need, but giving them a pious blessing instead. Again, according to James. And I'll say this, white supremacy and Uh, is essentially a particularly brutal form of favoritism that's been extended out over hundreds of years. We favored the invented category of white and all others were variously oppressed and exploited in the name of Jesus for their own good, is how the story went. And this theological mistake corrupted our faith and it made us into a people with a so-called faith that according to James can't actually save us. 
because without the works of justice, it's dead. Some people have called this slaveholder theology, where you believe you can save a soul but enslave a body and not see the contradiction. So Isaiah and Mary and James are bringing worship and justice together and saying that it's impossible to worship rightly without, while practicing injustice. Worship and justice cannot be separated. And they bring them together for us. And this is part of what we're learning in Lent. And friends, this Lent, our Savior Jesus waits for us in the Valley of Repentance, longing to gather his church as a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings to protect and provide. Church, as we face this reality of sin and our entanglement in these racist systems of oppression and injustice, Jesus will meet us with open arms, empowering us to joyfully repent and offer our bodies to his kingdom of justice and peace. Will you allow Jesus to gather you today through confession and repentance? Maybe just take a few breaths. Notice what's happening in your body, even right now. Just let it be there. Jesus meets us right where we really are. Because we need to talk about our gospel reading as well. <laughs> um, our gospel reading is Jesus' harshest denouncement here of the scribes and Pharisees. Some people have a really hard time hearing Jesus speak like this. Uh, but remember a couple things. This is right at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus' last-ditch effort to help the scribes and the Pharisees see their sin and repent before disaster comes. So Jesus is not being mean here. Jesus is acting in fierce fidelity and love. He's standing in line with the prophetic tradition and calling them to repent so they can be saved from their own foolishness. You think you're righteous, Jesus says to them, but you're wrong because you're neglecting the stuff that matters most to God, justice, peace, faith. You're seeking to consolidate your status and your privilege so, they can, so that you can continue to dominate and manipulate others. But what the Lord requires you of you is not perfect sacrifices or temple attendance or Sabbath observance. It's to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with the Lord. Again, Jesus brings together worship and justice. And yes, these are the games we all play. Yes, we're all tempted to jockey for positions of power and privilege over others. We all resist the intimacy and the joining that the gospel demands. But it's interesting here because the Pharisees have a unique position of power and status in Jesus's day. And thus, they were especially resistant to Jesus' call. And I think the parallel here for us as white Christians in the U.S. is that this is our position as well. We want to follow Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that anybody you know, here in the, on this call today, here in this church service, is as far gone as the Pharisees who were actively, openly resisting the call of Jesus. We want to follow Jesus, but we have to reckon with the fact that our position and our status as white inside the USA today makes it especially hard for us to hear what Jesus is saying. It makes us inherently resistant to the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus did say, it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven which is hard for us to grapple with and hard for us to deal with. But that's part of hearing Jesus speak to us today. And so I, I, we're, we're part of a church that has perpetuated injustice in the name of Jesus, even if we haven't individually done so. And we need to hear these words from Jesus, I would suggest, as white Christians. And so what might this sound like today? 
What might Matthew 23 sound like today if Jesus were speaking to the white church in America? And again, as you, this is just some speculative words that I wonder if Jesus might say to us. And I want to encourage you not to hear this as an individual. I want to encourage you to hear this as a representative of the white church. I want to hear you, I want to encourage you to hear this as someone who is connected to the white Christians that created the world that we live in today, because we are connected to those people. The trauma and the vicarious trauma that was inflicted, all of that stuff lives in our bodies. So we are connected to these people, and we need to hear these words from Jesus. So what might this sound like if Jesus were addressing us as the white church today? Maybe something like this. Woe to you. You fast for Lent. You tithe your income. You memorize scripture. You receive the Eucharist regularly. But you shrink back from joining with your black brothers and sisters and won't advocate for policies that would help bring justice to their communities. Woe to you. You take offense at the rage of black people who've been oppressed for centuries, but you aren't bothered by the oppression itself that brought about the rage. Woe to you. You set up shrines to Martin Luther King Jr. And you say, if we had lived during the civil rights movement, we would have supported it. But you can't even say today that black lives matter because you're more worried about the remote possibility of Marxism than you are about the entrenched reality of racism. You praise the prophets of the past, having lost the ability to discern the prophets among us today. How will you escape being relegated to the trash heap? (laughs) Again, I don't know how that feels to you to hear those words, but I think it's necessary for us. Not to go down the road of uh, self-condemnation, that's actually a dodge. Not to go down the road of defensiveness, that's a dodge too but just to feel the impact of what's been perpetuated. Because church, to take Jesus and the gospel seriously in our day, we have to reckon with racism. This isn't a hobby horse. This isn't a side issue. Decolonizing our faith is fundamental to our work as Christians and as the church today. Racism lives in us. It lives among us. We carry in our bodies the vicarious and generational trauma of our ancestors. We carry in our bodies the socio-political order of whiteness. It lives in us. And so repentance for racism means, first of all, not only, but first of all, simply telling the truth about it and learning to see how it shows up in our bodies, learning to see how it shows up in our society, and walking through the pain of allowing God to touch it and heal it so we can actually believe and do the gospel in our bodies. Doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly before God and each other, joining with each other in intimacy, allowing new creation to spring up among us. Because friends, the good news is that our Savior waits for us this Lent in the Valley of Repentance. Jesus longs to gather his church as a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings to protect us, to provide for us. And so church, the promise is this, that as we face the reality of our sin and our entanglement in racist systems of oppression and injustice, Jesus will meet us with open arms, empowering us to joyfully repent and offer our bodies to his kingdom of justice and peace. 
Church, today, will you allow Jesus to gather you through confession and repentance? The Holy Spirit will help us. Don't be afraid. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.